Well, good morning, Grace. I'm Ken, one of the pastors here. Brother Darren is on vacation, so I hope he and Anita are having a blessed time together. And it's a pleasure to be up here with you this morning as we get to continue to worship. As you heard, we're in Matthew 26 uh, this morning. It has been said about Matthew's gospel that it is a passion story with a long introduction. So consider the introduction is over. We've been in it a few months, and we are now in Matthew 26. And this is a big change for Matthew as he's communicating to his, his audience, which was he was targeting the Jews. He was wanting them to understand that the Messiah had come. And as he penned his account of the gospel, we now have the gospel of Matthew, his account of Jesus' life, the miracles, the teachings, his death, burial, his resurrection. Matthew wanted to communicate this. But again, it's interesting how when we see all four of the Gospels and what a blessing it is that we have them, four accounts of Jesus, and we get to see different perspectives, and they, they'll, some of them, they'll be a little more chronological than maybe one of the other writers, but their, their whole point is they're pointing to their audience that here's the Savior. And what a blessing we have today because we have these words and that you and I can be in them, and we can know God, and that we can be encouraged in our faith. And for others, it's a point where they are arriving to that point where they understand they need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus Christ. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, continue to uh, spend time with you, grateful for your provision in Jesus. And thank you for your word. I pray you'll help us as we our process as we unpack this, and Lord, as we continue to be a people that live in a world that needs this story, needs to know about Christ, and that we would be a people quick to share and to love others. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, well, let's jump right in. Okay, Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he told his disciples. Now here, this is about the fifth time that Matthew is making a transition with this, when he had finished saying these things, or something to the equivalent. And when he would say this, Matthew would, he was kind of finishing up a section, and it was a big transition or a change in the narrative or the teaching. And so this is the fifth time he's doing this, and this is a big one because all this that he has been leading up to and what we have the first 25 chapters is leading to now chapter 26, 27, 28. And this is the heart for Matthew as he wants, he wants his people to know this is the Savior. And as, as Jesus in this moment, he's finished and now he tells his disciples. So he's got his, those that have been with him for three-ish years. And he's got something important to tell them. And so he pulls them together. And he says, verse 2, You know that the Passover takes place after two days. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And he says, the Passover's coming. Now, for the Jews, the Passover, that's what they're celebrating. Thursday, sundown, or Friday, sundown. They celebrate the Passover. And it's also part of a festival. And, and that's about a week long. Jerusalem was estimated to be about 50,000 people living in and around Jerusalem. 
And this week, that would swell. They estimate maybe as many as 250,000 people in Jerusalem. So you talk about traffic problems, walking traffic problems. It's probably a lot of this. If you've ever been in a, a parade, uh, gone to a parade or some kind of big festival where there's a lot of people and you're constantly dodging people as you walk, that's what was, there was a lot of congestion going on, but they were coming together to Jerusalem to celebrate, and they were traveling in. And so as, uh, as they do that, and of course the disciples, they're aware the Passover's coming. He says, you know the Passover's coming. Now the Passover, again, that's their, their celebration. They're remembering what happened, and when we go back to Exodus 12, we can see that. And that is that point in the history of the Hebrews where they've been oppressed and enslaved and treated cruelly, and they're not in their land, and the Egyptians are on them, and God provides a way. Here's their cry, and he sends Moses, and, and God is getting ready to lead his people out of Egypt. And in that, that account, when we read in Exodus, the plagues, as they go over and over again, and the Pharaoh hardens his heart again and again and again. And then Exodus 12, we get to the point where it's that moment where the Hebrews are told, hey, gather together, you get a spotless lamb, you sacrifice it, you put the blood on the doorposts, and then the angel of the Lord will come through that night and did. And if it had that mark on the doorpost, it would pass over. If it didn't have the mark, then that home lost the firstborn. Tragic, tragic. But for the Jews, it was the beginning of them being rescued out. And so they remembered that when they celebrated the Passover. And Jesus says, it's coming. And he says, you know that the Passover takes place after two days. So he's specific. It's coming, so we would say probably Tuesday of the week. Matthew doesn't really say anything on Wednesday, but boy, he goes in on Thursday. Um, so he, Jesus continues, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. That's fourth time that he is saying this in, in Matthew some would say it's the third time. This is kind of an abbreviation of four. Uh, I, I believe four times. But he is being specific. It's coming. It's near. Very near. And I'm still amazed that even Jesus, knowing that cross is in front of him, he is still faithful to God's plan. He's still pouring into his people. He's still teaching and speaking truth. But it is imminent. And here, he will be the spotless lamb, the lamb of God. You know, they celebrate the Passover and what happened there. Here, he will be the lamb. And it's coming. So handed over to be crucified. So he, he knows it's coming and he's submitting to the, the Father's plan, the Father's will. Now, we're going to see this in these coming verses. But, you know, it doesn't matter on the Sanhedrin, the Herodians the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Romans, or even Judas. It's going to happen in God's time, not man's. And Jesus is going to willingly submit his life. Verse 3, Then the high priest, the chief, the chief priests, and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest who was named Caiaphas. So the chief priests and the elders, they, they assemble. They come together in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas was the high priest. He had been appointed. Early on, it was a position 
that was inherited and lifelong, but at this point in first century, it was now Roman, the Romans had control of this. And if they didn't like it, they could take that from you. Caiaphas, in AD 18, he was appointed high priest, and he had it for 18 years, which was longer than normal. And I think that says something a little bit about Caiaphas, that he knew how to navigate uh, working with the Romans and, and being a religious leader and all this, and he held that position. And there was probably a lot of power prestige in it, and eight, 18 years that he was in control. Um, as, as they gather, he's there, the leader of the people, so to speak, one of the highest positions that you could have, and they are assembling in his place, and he's got approval to it. Verse 4, and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Now, Passover's coming. Here are some of the, the should be the holy religious leaders and yet, instead of them preparing for the celebration, they're coming together and plotting. And they want to take out Jesus. Now, this isn't the first moment they've even thought of that, but I, you can almost sense, maybe with Matthew, that it's notched up a degree. Uh, they're, they are getting very intentional now, and they want to make it happen. But as part of their planning, here, verse 5, it says, Not during the festival, this celebration. Not during the festival, so there won't be rioting among the people. So when you have this gathering, remember Jerusalem, about 50,000 people, now it's about 250,000, and they're coming in. A lot of those people were coming from around Jerusalem, maybe from Galilee, or quite, most probably from Galilee. And of course, in Galilee, Jesus had done a lot of teaching. He'd done miracles there. He had a following. He had people who knew him. And so they're now in Jerusalem. And if the, the religious leaders are like, if we snag Jesus right now, there's going to be problems. There are a lot of people here who like him, and it's going to create a problem. And in all this congestion and all, there could be a riot. And, and in their eyes, too, what about Rome? Rome wasn't oblivious to the, what the Jews did. They, Rome kind of knew when they would gather and celebrate. They knew that there would be a big rush of people going into Jerusalem. They would keep an eye on it. And if there was out of control, if there was potential rebellion, Rome would be on top of that. And so they were religious leaders were very concerned about the people. So in, in a way, they feared the potential response of the people. They feared the response of the Romans but tragically, they didn't fear God. And so they said, don't do it now. Riding may come. Verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Bethany, little village just outside of Jerusalem, about two miles um, Mary, Martha, Lazarus lived there. Uh, and then in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it actually, they found evidence that it indicated there was a leper colony not far from Bethany, too. And so right outside of Jerusalem here, Jesus in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So there apparently Jesus and the group, they had made their way to this. Now, Simon was a very common name in the first century. 
Um, and Matthew names four of them. So to specify who it is, it says Simon the leper. Um, odds are he was formerly a leper, probably healed by Jesus. Um, this was a way to identify him, or Matthew does, to set aside him aside from the other Simons. But for some, it was interesting in reading on this, they said, what if he was still a leper? Well, some would say, well, then Jesus would have been, and the disciples would have been violating Leviticus 13, which is not reside with lepers. It won't be the first time that, that Jesus had done something that the religious leaders would have said that's wrong. But the odds are pro most likely that he was a former leper because he was in a house and not in the colony. Um, as they gather in this place uh, of Simon's house, a woman comes. And when, when looking at this text, and, and I was thinking about this, this act that we're getting to read on her, her act of devotion and love for Jesus, on either side of it is treachery. And we see, one, the religious leaders on this side, and they're plotting, and then you're going to have this moment right here that Matthew places for, for us to see of her act of devotion. And then right after that, we're seeing Judas and him stepping into uh, trying to make things happen for his own greed. Verse 7, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. And she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, Matthew doesn't name her. Uh, John does. He says it's Mary. But Matthew just leaves her unnamed. Now, it doesn't mean he had a problem naming women. He names women in G Genesis 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. But I think he was illustrating that here is a woman, and it's not in Matthew account. It's not important that it, who it is. It's just it's a woman, and, and this is going to be something incredible that she's going to do um, for Jesus. I think a, a, a lesson for us is that she's unnamed, and in first century world, women didn't quite have the prestige. But I think for us, as we look at this, it doesn't matter. Unnamed, poor, hurting, wealthy, whatever, all can come to Jesus. He's, he died for the sins of humanity. We're all broken, needy people. But here this woman, it says she approached him with an alabaster jar. That would be marble, be imported in, and they'd take that and they would make it in, into a fine, delicate container, and they would put value in it, which would be the perfume, very expensive perfume, the Scripture says. So she, that's in here, and she comes in, and she pours it on his head. John said she actually broke the, broke the alabaster container. So not only was it expensive perfume, but it was a, a jar that had value that was broken. And so she approached him while the men were sitting there. And the perfume probably imported in value with that. Uh, she pours it on his head while he's reclining at the table. They... When I think about the men in the room, and all of us, we know the, there are five senses, and the sense of smell is powerful. So if you're hungry and you walk up and somebody's grilling, that smell and it gets, gets you light, light, lights you up. Um, some would, I like the smell of fresh-cut grass. 
Some are like, what's wrong with you? Maybe it's better if somebody else mows it, but it, they're still. Or leather. I, when I got my softball glove first time and I could stand in the outfield and I could smell that leather. But just the smell. But here, she comes in and she takes this perfume. And you're talking about rugged men, outdoor men. Um, you know, they fished. They did a lot of stuff. But they, when, they, when she broke that and she poured that on Jesus, that aroma filled that room with those men. And you could almost... As they're sitting there watching, and they, they, they get that, and they go, that's expensive. And they, they smell. And she poured it on Jesus. Um, the disciples, they responded, verse 8. When they saw it, they were indignant, and they said, why this waste? Um, John specific, he even calls them out. He says, Judas, uh, in John 12. So I can imagine as they're sitting there, and Judas is probably in all of them. They're watching. They see that jar. It's expensive. She breaks it. She pours it on. The smell hits, and they realize that wasn't just a little bit. That's a, there's significant there value in that. And I don't know how the ones that were good in math, Judas must have been, maybe several others. And they start calculating, and they're going, That's, and Mark tells us it's about a year's worth of wages in that culture incredible value and it just broken and poured on Jesus and you know what they determined that valuable perfume was wasted on Jesus um, I was reading one gentleman um, commentator and he said he was interested and he thought we won't know for sure but he said I, I wonder in that moment if there were two people in the room besides Jesus that knew what was coming that knew Jesus was going to die. Judas and maybe this woman. I don't know. I don't know if she knew fully what was going on, but he speculated it would be interesting if she kind of knew and really understood what Jesus was saying and communicating, and, and this was a, a little bit of her love and devotion to express to him, knowing what was to come for him. So we don't know 100% sure of that, but it was an interesting thought. Verse 9 as they've kind of calculated and they've smelled and they've looked and it's been poured on Jesus. And then they say, this might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Now right here, they're partly right and partly wrong. They're right in the sense there's value. That's a lot of value there. But they're wrong and then it was wasted. They were right. It could have been cashed in and that money given to the poor. They would have been right about that, but it wasn't wasted on the Lord. Verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. Now, Jesus can read a room. He knows the vibe. He sees the expressions the men are, are as they look and scowl and try to figure out and and then begin to push back. He knows what's going on. And here's this woman who's entered the room with the men, and she's done this. And he said, she's done a noble thing for me. And so he, he sees her love, he sees her devotion, and he defends her. He says, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a noble thing for me, a good work for me. Now, she, praised, she was praised by Jesus. And if you think when we read the Gospels, when 
when, there's, when Jesus gives praise, that's high praise, right? She, she was there. She did this. He saw it. It wasn't missed by Jesus. Verse 11, you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. So Jesus, he's certainly not teaching we should ignore the needy, the brokenhearted, the hurting, the poor. We should bless them. Matthew 25 reminds us when we do it to them, the least of these, we do it to him. But in this moment, with Jesus himself, she's done this, and she's done it as love and devotion. I think it models, too, that, that God is above all for us. It's, he's, he should be supreme over any relationship we have here. He should be above all. Any of our possessions, it should be held loosely because he is above all. And she, in this moment, saw an opportunity, and she just wanted to express her love to him. So verse 12, Jesus continues, By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. So again, Jesus is not oblivious to what's coming. He knows it's there. I'm still totally, totally amazed that he is faithful. Not that he wouldn't be, but he was faithful, and there's the cross, the shadow. It's very, very close. And he still sees what people are doing and saying. He's still teaching. He's still expressing love. He expresses love for this woman, what she did. Verse 13, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So much so that three of the four gospels have this told, this expressed, this written. And so when you think about that, that, perfume that she poured on Jesus that he said to prepare his body for burial. She poured on him that filled that leper's room, Simon's house. That perfume is now in the four corners of the world. 2,000 years later, we're still seeing her simple act of love and devotion for the Savior. It's still being told. Just like he said, it'd be told in memory of her. And so Jesus appreciated that expression that she did, walking in that room in a room full of men and going up, breaking that, and all that value right there and pouring it on Jesus. I saw this, this story. There was a couple, and they had a young son, and they'd been teaching him. And pointing him to Jesus, and they prayed together as a family. And he was a little fellow and beginning to grow and, and became from a toddler to a kindergartner. And there was one Saturday morning that uh, he was playing, and his mom was standing there in the kitchen um, making biscuits. And he goes, Mommy, I wish Jesus lived on earth right now. And she said, Why do you wish that, Joey? And he said, because I want to do his chores. I want, I want to do stuff for him. Or I'll, go, I'll run this store for him. I, I want to do stuff. And she goes, you can. And he looked at her. She said, just a second. And so she got a basket. She put some biscuits in. And she put a little jar of jelly. And she folded the little t- 
towel over it, and she said, Joey, take this to Miss Margaret next door. You can take it to her for Jesus. And he just lit up. And off he took off. Bounding over there, knocked on the door. Elderly woman came to the door, Miss Margaret, and he gave, gave her the biscuits, and she just lit up. And, of course, he's just beaming. And then he comes bounding back into the house, and uh, Mom saw in that moment just an incredible joy in his face. And she just, and praying, would he always have that joy of serving Jesus? And it, uh, what a blessing for us to have breath, to have a heartbeat, to have the blessing of loving Jesus and loving others. And so as you and I be a blessing to others, it's like we're being a blessing to our Lord. And I know He's pleased. Now, we have treachery and we have this moment, this woman and her love expressed to the Savior on the week of His upcoming arrest, torture, crucifixion, and burial. This week, she's done this and He has seen it. And he's expressed love for that and defended her in a room full of men. Now we get to the other side of the story. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests who were plotting, and they were trying to figure out how to arrest him, but not during the festival. But it's on God's timing, and Jesus will be arrested. And said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And so they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time on, he looked for a good opportunity to betray him. So in that moment, uh, and it's estimated that the silver he got would have been four months of income. So here... It, you see the contrast, this woman who took almost a year's worth just to the gift to the Lord, an expression of her love, and here he betrays Jesus to death for four months' income. And the chief priests, the, the leaders, all their plans that they plot, and then boom, Judas and the opportunity and everything shakes up and... Jesus arrested in the right time, in God's time, not man's time. And Christ will go to the cross. And we're going to be uh, unpacking that in these next few weeks as we see the Savior completely willing to follow God's plan. And He's going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world when He goes to the cross. And He's buried. And he's dead three days. But the tomb's empty because he rose. Validating everything that Matthew builds for his audience in the first 25 chapters, the miracles, the teachings, everything is pointing Jesus is the Messiah. Believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, live in this world We are grateful for the Gospels and how we can read of your Son's life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for this 
moment when this woman saw an opportunity to express directly to Jesus her love and devotion. And we read it today and we remember. And Lord, as, as they celebrated the Passover that week, Christ was ready and knew that he was going to the cross and he willingly did. He submitted to it. And Lord, he took upon sin on himself so that we would have the opportunity to be forgiven and to be your children. And so, Lord, once again, we just give glory to you. You are worthy. And so, uh, God, we uh, give our praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they celebrate the Passover... That was what they would do once a year. For us, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we do it on each side of the room. So I'm going to ask uh, those that are going to help lead us in the Lord's Supper if you'll come forward. And then uh, those that are going to help lead us in singing if you'll come forward as well. Um, for, the, for the Lord's Supper, this is when we as followers of Jesus remember what happened 2,000 years ago. And the bread will represent, represents his body that was broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was spilled for us, the spotless lamb of God. And so this is for believers, and it's believers in a good standing. So the encouragement is that as we sing, that you search your heart, and if God's pointing out things in your heart's mind, that that's something you need to address, that's something you need to be transparent, that's something you need to confess, then we do that. And then as you have that fellowship as a believer, a follower of Christ, that fellowship is restored and then I would encourage you, then come forward and participate in the Lord's Supper and remember what Jesus did. Years ago uh, in China, there was a, a, a gentleman on a, a, had a rice, several rice barns, and he was on a hilltop right around his village. And that's where he worked, but he, he loved the view. He could see the town right below and the fields where his friends and his neighbors worked. And then he could see the coastline. And this particular morning as he was working, everything started to shake. The, uh, his, the equipment, I mean the baskets, everything in his, his, his barns was shaking. The ground was insecure and he's trying to get his balance and he drops off fours to hang on. And as he looks, he can see uh, the trees in the valley below, everything's shaking. And then finally it subsides and he kind of gets up, brushes himself off. And as he looks, he, he sees the coast, the water's going out. And he realizes what's getting ready to happen. And as he looks, of course, he's seeing a lot of his neighbors. They've been out working in the fields too. And, and they're all standing up. And he realizes, I can't, I can't warn them quick enough what's getting ready to happen. And they, I can see it. They cannot. And he yells, but they're, they're, everybody's just kind of like, what's going on? And so they don't really understand. And so he, he, he looks around and he sees a fire and he grabs a limb and he and sticks in the fire, and he gets lit like a torch, and then he begins to set his barns on fire. And the smoke begins to billow in the fire, and his neighbors, still recovering from all the shaking, they look up, and they see the smoke and fire and realize he's in trouble, and they start running up the hill, and the, and the whole community goes up, and if you can't help with the fire, they're going to watch. So the whole community starts running up this hill toward it, and as they're getting up on the hill toward what his... His barns are on fire. They stop, they, 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 somebody points and they all turn and look. And here comes the ocean flooding into their village and flooding the fields that they were just standing in. And they realize when they look at their friend that 
what he did cost him for them to be rescued. It cost all his worldly possessions. For us to be rescued, it cost Jesus his life. But he willingly gave it. So I would encourage you, if you've not repented of sin and trusted in Christ, today can be your day to confess and to say, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to put my faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do that today and and go from being an enemy of God in rebellion and in sin to being a son or daughter of the king. So, Father, again, as we uh, prepare to sing and and participate in Lord's Supper, may we uh, spend this this time, this moment, reflecting, hearing from you, and responding. Lord, I, I pray any that want to know the Savior, that they would, in this moment, seek you and call upon you. Seek forgiveness. Put faith and trust in the one who rose from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.